Welcome back to Civil Action with Brian Kabatek and Sean Karnikian. Sean, yep. as usual, thank you for being here. We appreciate you as my sidekick. Oh, thank you. That's really kind of you to thank me. Civil Action is normally uh, all about recent legal cases that come down that affect the plaintiff's practice. We try to dissect them and explain them to lawyers in about 20, 25 minutes. We take four cases on a weekly basis and we explain them. We do the best we can and then people, uh, all eight of our listeners call and complain, right? I don't even think we have eight listeners. Well, I think, no, I think we're close to eight. Yeah, your mom, my mom. Your wife, my wife. No, no, our wives don't listen. Today we're very fortunate to have Andy Spielberger with us. Andy is a fine trial lawyer, uh, takes cutting-edge cases. He does um, so much good work with the civil justice system, and we're lucky to have you with us here today, Andy. Welcome. Thank you for having me. The uh, the only rule today, you can say anything you want. Accordingly, it's apparently in podcasts, you can say swear words. You can. You can cuss. Oh, darn. No one gives a shit. Okay. <laughs> Were you shocked by that, Brian? That's offensive. Oh, Apologize to our nerd. audience. Nerd. Okay. Yeah. So I've got um, some questions for you, Andy. And we're going to ask you to start us by telling us about your career and how you got to where you are today. All right. Well, um, I'm a military brat, so I lived all over the world uh, before I ended up in St. Louis for junior high and high school. Went to college in New Orleans and thought that I wanted to go into the foreign service. Where'd you go to college? Tulane University. Great. Did you have a good time there? <laughs> yes. Did you find that's, the French Quarter that's while a, you were there? Say, yeah, <laughs> Did you I, find the French Quarter either? I okay, found good. it and it found me. And quite frankly, one of the reasons I left was I knew that if I stayed in Louisiana, I would be dead by the time I was 30 because of the eating and drinking uh, opportunities. Is it St. Charles Avenue that the little streetcar runs up and down? Yes. And yes. could you take that from Tulane to the French Quarter? Absolutely. Oh, my God. Yes. That's great. Do it. Yeah. But it's not really in the French Quarter. It's like across the street from the French Quarter. You get the, you get the, uh, the, the little car. The little- St. Charles runs down to Canal. Uh, and so you can take the, uh, the streetcars really from uptown all the way to the edge of the French Quarter. And then but then you you'd have to French work your way into the French Quarter. And that's fine going. But on the way back, was it hard to crawl? I didn't always make it back. <laughs> that's amazing. All right. So I, I have went... watched the sun rise over the Mississippi River. Oh, that's great. Yes. It's bringing in Mardi Gras. Um, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Good experiences when you're in your 20s, your, your late teens and your early 20s. Maybe not so good when you're in your 40s and 50s. So let's leave it at that and move on to your, um, your legal career. When did you decide you want to become a lawyer? My senior year at Tulane, I was thinking, what the heck am I going to do? I really, I didn't think that not having graduated from Georgetown and only having like a three GPA from Tulane, I was like, I don't think I'm going to get into the foreign service. And I, one of my life's regrets is I never really took a swing at it. I never really tried it. And I thought, oh, I'll go into the law and international law was something that interested me because I was still interested in, in living overseas as I had done as a kid. Um, so I looked around at law schools and the day I decided I wanted to go to the University of Denver's law school that had this international program was the day they rejected me. And, uh, I, but likewise, McGeorge University of Pacific's law school had an LLM in international business transactions and taxation. So I went to McGeorge with the idea that, yeah, I would get into this international legal endeavor. Um, but like other things, when I got, when I graduated, I decided maybe I should, get a job for a year and make some money and check that a law out. job a law job right. so did you take any time off a gap year between college and law school or do you go straight into law school 
I, I did uh, take one year off. I worked for a law firm in, in New Orleans, and, uh, and it was a plaintiff's civil litigation firm. And it, it certainly interested me. I didn't think that I was going to be doing that down the road. Um, oh, and that's before law school? Right? Yeah, that was before law yeah. school. Okay, you do, so, what did you do right after law school? Well, I took a job from a firm in Los Angeles, and I had never... Why L.A.? Just because it was more about the firm that interested me. I, okay. I came to L.A. sight unseen, so to speak. Wow. I had no idea. My introduction to California was Northern California, was Sacramento, right. and I, which I really enjoyed. And I liked the lobbying aspect of that, too. The political. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so I, I went down to L.A. really not knowing what I was going to get into. And, it, you know, L.A. is, at, for a single guy um, who had a job back in the late 80s, um, you know, it was a heck of a place to be. Um, so what's the firm you came to work at? So it was, at that time, it was called Dummett and Agajanian. And it... Armenians. That's an Armenian it, name. Yeah. Armenians. Uh, well, and it was the Agajanian part of it that really took me off because... The Agajanians are in the race car industry. Sure. And we know the Agajanian family. Right. So they used to do these sponsorship deals, and they put me, for whatever reason, in the head of their entertainment department, even though I had no back. I think maybe because my last name is Spielberger, and they thought Spielberg has got to, he has to have, figure out something about the entertainment <laughs> thing. So I, start, I got involved in like negotiating deals and the sponsorship stuff. And then they also had uh, a music producer, Mike Curb, that they represented. And sure. I got involved in, in the entertainment part of it. And, and I got a girlfriend who worked at Universal Pictures, and I ended up leaving litigation and went off on my own for like five years where I was doing stuff with my girlfriend. We had this uh, screening, marketing screening program that we did with the various uh, movie studios and radio stations. In L.A., this is back in the late 80s, early 90s, and I represented the, the Starlight Amphitheater out in Burbank. And so right. I got into this whole entertainment world, uh, mainly on a transactional basis. And I also got involved in the underworld of uh, film financing for uh, independent pictures, which was a, a whole world of a den of thieves. What uh, drove you back to litigation? Uh, after about five years of doing that and really not doing great economically, getting by, I was like, I kind of getting older. I think I need to be a little more responsible to my future. And I uh, decided that I'd get back into litigation and started off with a defense firm in, the, in Santa Monica. And then a guy um, on the plaintiff's side, I went up against and he said, I really like the work you're doing. I think you should come to this side. I think you're a little you more. Did it? I did. And it was the best thing, best move I could make within the law because I, I, I really do enjoy the practice on this side. Because as Brian knows, Dan and I's practice is a very diverse practice. And very that's interesting the, that's practice. The fun. You guys have a very, talk a little bit about your firm now and how it came to be. Right. So Dan and I. Met, Dan Balaban. Dan Balaban and I met, I don't know, like 10, 15 years ago when I was working at this firm. And he just got out of the Israeli army. When I first met him, he had a ponytail down to the middle of his he back. He didn't tell us that part. Yeah. yeah. And he was going on a walkabout. He was going to go down to uh, Central America and go through the jungle and the whole thing. And had a family friend, that, the guy that I was working for at the time. And he convinced Dan, you should make some money before you leave so you got some money in your pocket. 
and Dan never left. We realized that Dan was brilliant um, and the way that he could analyze things. And so Dan ended up going to law school and then Dan and I decided we would do our own thing. And uh, it's, been, it's been a wonderful ride. So you guys do have a very interesting practice because you take diverse cases, big, big impact cases, you know, impact for the individual client, unusual cases. Can you give us a flavor of the kinds of cases you've taken? Sure. Well, ironically, if you remember the beginning of the story, I was interested in this international law thing. And it turns out that we've had some cases that involve the nation of Brazil or involve... Um, hundreds or dozens of people in, from Korea or China, and I've had to go overseas to Europe for depots and dealing with foreign laws. So one of our, maybe our most famous case was this in-ren claim to what's the world's largest emerald called the Bahia Emerald. And in it, we had to litigate against about five or six claimants who said that they were the owners. Turns out, and this was in the LA Superior Court, my client won. It was great. We we're all excited. You know, we were going to go pick up the the emerald the emerald the, <laughs> yes but the the day after and the emerald at the time was being held in the like los the angeles LNG. county sheriff's los angeles county sheriff's department exhibit room because they had t- confiscated it from my client because one of the other claimants said my client had stolen it now he got resolved in our favor not only on that allegation but ultimately the the ownership claim the day after we won, we got our judgment from L.A. Superior Court. I get a call from a guy from the Wall Street Journal and says, hey, what's your response to Brazil's restraining order that they got in a Washington, D.C. district court? And I said, what are you talking about? Turns out so the nation of Brazil said, hey, this is a national treasure, the Bahia Emerald. We want it back. And it was illegally mined and illegally exported from Brazil. And so there was a crime involved in it. We want to get it back through the forfeiture process. And I said to them, well, wait a second. My, my guys are bona fide good faith purchasers. They didn't participate in this crime. They, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I also had to research the law of national treasures, which is a fascinating issue, which is different how they deal with it in the States and how they deal with it in Europe. So yeah. I got into the whole international That's thing. That's wild. And, and I've been fighting, Dan and I have been fighting not an insurance company, not some wealthy dude, but a nation, the nation of Brazil, for like the last, it's like going on 10, 11 years now. Um, so for 10 or 11 years now, you've been fighting with just, you, 10 or 11 years ago, you won the underlying case. Yes. And for 10 or 11 years now, you've been fighting the nation of Brazil. Yeah, and, and it, yeah, we're trying to get the restraining order lifted. And in that process, they, the Brazil had to depose my clients to see if they were involved or associated in this criminal activity. They had to, and my guys were exonerated. They, were, they weren't involved in any illegal activity. But they also had to try the case down in Brazil against the original miners. And then they appealed it, and it's still up on appeal. So that's why it's taking so long. It's a legal process in Brazil. It's a, there's a legal process in Washington, D.C., and I have dealing with a district court judge there with a restraining order on the whole thing. But quite frankly, uh, through the whole thing, develop a pretty good relationship with the Brazilian authorities, and hopefully we'll still be able to work something out. That's crazy. And I know you have a lot of high-profile cases. Some you probably can't even talk about, but any others that come to mind that are, that are just fascinating? Yeah, I like the one that uh, we're currently working on where we represent uh, 18 
Korean nationals who all invested $500,000 each into the EB-5 visa program to get permanent visas. Turns out they got, they're ripped off by the lawyer that was uh, overseeing the thing, but in the process, they put uh, money in a bank and it was supposed to go into escrow accounts and the bank was supposed to protect it. I'm not going to name the name of the bank right now because the litigation is current, but uh, the bank didn't protect the money and the, the money went away. That's so, a problem. So those 18 people uh, uh, got ripped off of their 500000 which with prejudgment interest is now up to about a million per person. And then there's a whole fraud claim. And as Brian knows, because we're involved with his firm, and a, there's a class action involving like 60 other people behind it um, uh, on that case. And so I've had to go to Korea like on three occasions to, for depositions and meeting with the clients and dealing with a little bit of the Korean law. It's, it's fun. Well, you have a fascinating practice, and, and this interview up until this very moment has been fascinating, and now we're going to take it to a new level when we get to ask you questions rapid fire. It's a disappointing level. It's, it's a new Andy level. Because Andy was really enjoying talking about this, because he lights up. You can't see his face because we're recording right now. Right, I can see him. But, right, but it's only being audio recorded, Brian. We're not on camera? No, there's no cameras. And Andy lights up when he talks about these cases. And it's, I, kind of, it's really refreshing I to see someone I want Andy to talk again so about a national treasure. <laughs> national treasure. And you think of me in the same vein, okay? As a national treasure. Sure. You're a national treasure, I'm a Brian. national that's, treasure. That's funny. So here's what we're going to do now. Yeah. That's going to be more funny. We're going to ask you rapid-fire questions. Um, most of our questions are rudderless. Uh, have very little substantive meaning, but um, they help people get to know you better. Maybe, maybe not. Just ask okay. a question. Sean, ask your first question. I'll ask the first question. Um, if you had like, uh, if you were a doll that had one of those strings you pull and you say something, what would you say? Hello. That's it? That's it? That's it? It's a, the string. It's a I short pull the string. string. You, you can hello. say anything you want to say, and for eternity, I'm going to pull the string. 300 years from now, I'm going to pull the string. Hello. Hello. What I tell my daughters? Love is the most powerful energy in the universe. Okay. That's, that's nice. Good. That's, that's deep. Good. You, you feel bad now for making fun of him? No, I'm, I don't feel bad. He, his first answer was <laughs> to say hello. hello. Yeah, I know. I was polite. Um, yeah, it's a very polite doll for eternity. Oh, yeah. That's good. Uh, Andy, favorite movie? Amadeus is up there on the top of the list. You guys are probably too young to remember that. Yeah, I'm, I'm really young. About I think Mozart. I knew Mozart. <laughs> yeah. I think Mozart and I were high school buddies. It's really it's about the existence of God or not, too, in that whole thing. That's a great movie. Yeah, it is a great movie. You said you, you moved around a lot. You've traveled a lot. Uh, where's your favorite place in the world? I, loved, I lived in Paris. I loved Paris. Um, the Colorado Rockies sing to my soul. Um, those, are the, those are the two tops of the list. Besides Brazil, have you been to any place in South America? I have not. Oh. I have Worth not. going to. Um, growing up, what did you want to do? Really? Be not. A, yeah, no. Foreign I, service, you already... Yeah. Not. Oh. Worth not. going to. Um, growing up, what did you want to do? Really? Besides, yeah, besides yeah, no, foreign I, service, you already... Yeah, were you yeah, listening yeah, you. Like, like 12 minutes up. ago? Growing yeah, up. growing up. I mean, you were like a little kid. I heard you guys earlier, you were saying you're a nerd. I, I was just an athlete, so all I wanted that to do... I like how he prefaced that with, I heard you guys say... I heard you guys, guys saying you were a nerd, but I was an athlete. <laughs> That's that good. No, you're going to beat me up just, now? Going to relive my high school days? My When I grew up, my perspective on life was, it's 
baseball season, now it's football season, now it's hockey season, and school was a secondary thing. It was like, oh, that's what I do before I go to practice. Sean and I grew up in the same relative area, although granted decades apart, and both of us couldn't wait for hockey season when the rivers and the lakes would freeze over and we'd start playing hockey with our friends. It was great, wasn't it? I used to play inline hockey. I used to play roller hockey. Wow. In Burbank. Yeah, who knew? Well, if we were asking you <laughs> questions, that would be that would be fascinating. But Next question. Your uh, turn. Your turn. What would be your favorite meal in the whole world? My mother's fried chicken. Um, favorite movie? Oh, we said that. You we did that already. That. Sorry. God. Oh my. It's a trick question. You're trying to get me to change. Favorite song? Hey Jude. Oh. Small band called the Beatles. Don't know. Yeah, up yeah. and coming. Don't know. Uh, if you could be a cartoon character, which cartoon character would you pick you'd be? The Flash. I always like that fast-running guy. Um, if you weren't a lawyer now, what do you think you'd be? Other than foreign service? Okay, how many times are you going to ask this poor guy the same question? What would you be? Not what, what do you want to be? Like, What do you I, think you'd be doing? It, it, do I have to be working in, in that answer? No, no. I think I think I'd like to, uh, you know, kind of like be a, I don't know about a farmer or a grape grower, something that keeps me outdoors, touching the earth every day. That, because I'm not young anymore, and st- I think, uh, you know, that's a really healthy lifestyle if you can just walk every day and touch the as earth. as part of your work. Yeah, yeah I think that yeah. would be good. If Sean were your child and you sat down and had to have a talk with him. To, you know about his future, not the birds and the bees, because that's a waste of your time. Um, what would you tell him? I would tell him, based on the 10 minutes I've been sitting here, just stay true to who you are and remain positive with the positive energy which you exude. So ignore Brian. Don't listen to what he says about you. And move on. I'm kidding. Uh, Brian's actually been a mentor to me, so... Thank you. I think part your, of that would be keep listening to Brian. Brian's been um, a mentor to many in a very good way. Because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could put up a billboard that says any message or any image on there and would be seen by millions of people, what would it, what would it be? I like the piece of chance. That's not, yeah. not original by me, but it works. Yeah. Hey, we've been very fortunate to have Andy Spielberger with us today. Andy, as I've said before, is a phenomenal lawyer. Uh, you do a lot for the profession, and we're so grateful for you being with us, uh, and thank you very much for being here. So this is Brian Kabatek with Civil Action. Sean Karnicki and I usually do this about uh, cases that come down, but we've had a lot of fun interviewing uh, people that we consider to be stalwarts and, and legends in the profession. Thank you, Andy, and uh, you can find us online at kbklawyers.com. And uh, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, everywhere else. And it's been a lot of fun, Andy. 